Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. Turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, if you wouldn't mind, and chapter number 14. The book of 1 Kings in chapter number 14. We're on our very last message of our series of the life and ministry of King Solomon. We've examined all of his life and we've observed what has been going on. We've seen his kingship. We've seen the wisdom that he's had. And unfortunately, we have also seen his fall. And now we come to the aftermath. Let's see what happens to the next generation. As Solomon passes away, we see that his son Rehoboam now becomes the king of Israel. Is he going to continue in the same wisdom that his father had at the beginning of his reign? Or are we going to find the awful consequences of the last part of Solomon's reign? Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and let's explore together in the book of 1 Kings in chapter 14. The book of 1 Kings chapter number 14 and if you wouldn't mind, notice with me in verse number 21. The book of 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 21, the word of God says this. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 and one years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Anaamah, an Ammonites. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed, above all that their fathers had done. For they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And there was also Sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Israel, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He even took away all. And he took away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam had made in their stead brazen shields and committed them into the hands of the chief of the guard which kept the door of the king's house. And it was so when the king went into the house of the Lord that the guard bare them and brought them back into the guard chamber. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And his mother's name was Naamah, an Ammonitess, and Abijam, his son, reigned in his stead. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase, if you wouldn't mind, that we find in two different verses. We want to mark them as we're talking about Rehoboam. Notice with me in verse number 26, where it speaks about shields of gold, shields of gold. And then in verse number 27, where it speaks about brazen shields. 
And with this, as we do a quick little character study on Rehoboam, we can pretty much picture this, trading gold for bronze. Trading gold for bronze. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we do seek after your wisdom for your mercy and for your grace. And we're thankful that you're plenteous in mercy, you're plenteous in grace, and that you can give us wisdom as we ask for it. We're asking that you would help us as we explore the life of Rehoboam, that we could not only see the character of his life and the description of his life, but that we could also apply it to our own lives. Lord, I need you, and I'm very conscious that I need you, and I need your grace and mercy. Lord, fill me with your precious spirit. The best I know how, I surrender myself to you that you could just use me as you see fit to be a help and encouragement to your dear folks. And in your name we pray, amen. Rehoboam, what a powerful idea that he traded gold for bronze. Let's examine a little bit more and see these different trade-offs that he had made within his life. The very first thing that we see as we examine the life of Rehoboam is that he traded wisdom for foolishness. He traded wisdom for foolishness. As we go back into the scriptures and kind of see where all of this had turned to, turn back with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 12. The book of 1 Kings chapter 12, and let's see as Rehoboam begins to reign right after Solomon and see what happens almost immediately as he is put in charge. Notice with me as we look in 1 Kings chapter number 12. The book of 1 Kings chapter 12, and notice with me in verse 1. And Rehoboam went into Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he had fled from the presence of the king of Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father hath made a yoke, or made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and the heavy yoke which he had put upon us lighter and we will serve thee. Now let's kind of catch up some things that had happened in King Solomon's life. The King Solomon had started his reign with wisdom and began to rule wisely. However, as he began to divert and began to serve other gods and began to be dragged away from sin step by step by step, that his reign was no longer one where all of his servants were happy and glad to serve for him. But in fact, he found that he had to force them to start doing things as he wanted to do more and more building projects and more and more things to get accomplished. And so he began to actually enslave much of the people, forcing them into labor, forcing them to serve him, forcing him to build. So instead of them doing things willingly, he felt that he had to push them by constraint. Now the people are no longer happy. The people are under a bondage. They feel this weight. They feel the chains of it. Remember that as King Solomon had also began to divert, that God had sent several adversaries and kept them in wait. One of this was Jeroboam. If you remember that we kind of covered Jeroboam a little bit earlier, that Jeroboam was actually a wise person who Solomon had placed in charge of pretty much the northern kingdom and built up a lot of influence. But later on when he found out that the prophet had come to Jeroboam and told him that because of Solomon's actions, the 
kingdom was going to be rent in two, that Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam. And Jeroboam's been hiding in Egypt. Now that Solomon is passed out of the way, and now that Rehoboam has taken the throne, the northern kingdom is very much concerned. How is Solomon going to, or Solomon's son going to reign? Is he going to reign in wisdom or is he going to reign in foolishness? And so they ask for Jeroboam. Why do they ask for Jeroboam? First of all, because Jeroboam was a great leader and they knew him. And if you can imagine that Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, had pretty much grown up with Jeroboam, who was Solomon's adopted son for a while, that he invested in this young man and put them here. So they figured that Jeroboam would be a good representative of the people, that Jeroboam would be a good leader, and he already had a relationship with Rehoboam. And so they brought Jeroboam here to address the king. King, we just want to know, are you going to rule wisely? Are you going to force us to work as bad as your father did? Or are you going to loosen the reins? How, we just want to know before you start, what are the intentions of you being king? Notice as Rehoboam answers them in verse number five. And he said unto them, depart yet for three days and come again to me. And the people departed. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. He says, give me a couple of days to look for wisdom to find out how best to answer your question. No problem. Verse six, and King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, why he yet lived and said, how do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him saying, if thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and thou wilt serve them, answer them, and speak good words to them, and they will be thy servants forever. So Solomon's son, Rehoboam, goes to Solomon's wise servants, people who had served with Solomon for a while. Remember that while Solomon was wise, you can imagine that he surrounded himself with wise counselors. So Rehoboam did good looking for wise counsel, looking for these people, asking them, what should I do about this? Notice that their reply was, you become a servant to the people. Instead of trying to get them to serve you, what you should do is find out how to serve them. What can you do to make their life better? What can you do to help them succeed? What can you do to help them to flourish? What can you do to help them to follow after God? And they said, if you become a servant to the people, they will love you and they will willfully and gladly serve you. You won't have to force them. They'll do it willingly. This is wise advice. The problem was that word servant. Rehoboam, who's now been raised with Solomon, has now watched Solomon's own life. Remember that uh, Rehoboam is 41 years old when he began to reign. Solomon reigned for 40 years. That means Rehoboam was born one year before King Solomon reigned. That means that Rehoboam grew up in the entire reign of Solomon. When he was a young man, a young child and to a young man, here is Solomon living wisely. But he also watched and was probably influenced by his dad's turn where he's starting to serve other gods. He's starting to enslave the people. And as Rehoboam is watching this, he doesn't like that word servant, or at least not as a title for himself. I can't imagine me serving these people. I'm king. 
Of course I'm king. I'm the greatest. They need to serve me. And so Rehoboam rejected that advice. Notice with me in verse 8. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which had given him and consulted with the young men that had grown up with him, which stood before him. So now he grabs his buddies, the people that he grew up with, the punk kids. Now remember, he's 40 years old, but these kids grew up with him, grew up in the palace, grew up as young people when Solomon was not right with the Lord. And he says, guys, what do you guys think? Verse number nine, and he said unto them, what counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter. And the young men which grew up with him spake unto him, saying, thus thou shalt speak unto the people, and spake unto thee, saying, thy father or <laughs> made our yoke heavy, but thou shalt make it lighter to us. Thus Thou shalt say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lade you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So the young men said, no, 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 you need to show them who's boss. You don't need to take any lip from them. What you need to do is say, listen here, I'm king. I'm more of a man than my father was. And to prove it to you, I'm going to make your burdens heavier. I'm going to make you work because of the scorpion sting. I'm going to put fear of me into your life. And Saul, a ray of balm like that. I want people to fear me. I want people to worship me. I want people to acknowledge how great I am. I like that. I don't want to be a servant. I'd rather be king. So, verse 12, So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day. And the king appointed, saying, Come again to me the third day. And the king answered the people roughly. And forsook the old men's counsel which they gave him, and spake to them after the counsel of the young man, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastened you with whips, and I will chasten you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not to the people, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform the saying which the Lord spake to Ahijah, the <laughs> Shilonite, unto Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So when the, all Israel saw the king hearken not unto them, the people answered the king saying, what portion have we in David? Neither have we any inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, and now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Adarijah who was over the tribute, and Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up into his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. So what happened as Rehoboam came and thought he would force himself to be king, force himself to be worshipped and acknowledged, that what happened is that the people rebelled. Because of this, the kingdom was split into two. Here, <laughs> Rehoboam had every opportunity to do what was right. He was given wise counsel to be a servant, to be a blessing to the people. And the people would turn around and be a blessing to him. 
But instead, he answered them roughly. Instead, he answered what sounded nice, what fed his ego. And because of this, the entire kingdom was ripped into two. Instead of a kingdom with vast influence, Rehoboam was left with a smaller, broken kingdom. All because he traded wisdom for foolishness. Something else that we understand about about Rehoboam here is that not only did he trade wisdom for foolishness, but he traded a relationship with the Lord with a false religion. He traded a relationship with the Lord for false religion. Turn back with me to the book of 1 Kings in chapter number 14. The book of 1 Kings chapter number 14, and notice with me as we go back to 1 Kings 14 to verse number 22, that he, Rehoboam, traded a relationship with the Lord for false religion. Notice with me in verse number 22. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they, the people of Judah, provoked him, God, to jealousy with their sins which they committed. Now, this is a big deal here, that what happened, he had the opportunity to do right. He had the opportunity to influence people to do what's right. But unfortunately, he chose not to obey the word of God of the Lord. Notice with me as you hold your finger here, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 12. We're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 12, which is the parallel passage a couple different times. But notice with me 2 Chronicles chapter number 12. And notice with me in verse number 1 as the Bible describes what's going on with Rehoboam. 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 1. And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom that and had strengthened himself He forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Now, let's go back and let's remember how Rehoboam was raised. Rehoboam was raised with David as his grandfather. Now, David died a little bit while earlier when Rehoboam was a young man, a very baby toddler, But he had grown up with Solomon being his father. As far as we know, out of all the thousands of wives, (laughs) thousands of wives that Solomon had, that he, Solomon, only had one son. That's it. In all the scripture, there's only one son that was recorded, and that was Rehoboam. Now, Presumably there could be others, but the Bible doesn't mention it. And that's kind of significant because whenever kings, whether it was from judges all the way up, if they had other sons and daughters, they were at least mentioned that there was other sons and daughters. But Rehoboam is the only one that's mentioned. Now, if that's true, that means when you read the book of Proverbs and you have Solomon that says, my son, listen unto me, he's speaking to Rehoboam. So can you imagine not only having the book of Proverbs, which we do, but having the person who's wise, who wrote the book of Proverbs, sitting you down and instructing you with these things of wisdom? Rehoboam had every opportunity to listen and obey the Lord. He had every opportunity to know what God's word said. He had been instructed correctly. 
It wasn't the idea that Rehoboam didn't know about the Bible. He didn't know how to follow God. He was instructed all of his young life to follow the Lord and to pursue after wisdom. Over and over you see in Proverbs, my son attendeth to my words. My son, listen to me. Over and over. Rehoboam had every opportunity to follow after God, every opportunity to do what's right. He had every instruction when he was young to be told how to follow the Lord in wisdom. But the Bible gives this, that he forsook the law of the Lord. And he caused Israel to follow after him to not serve God. Turn back with me to 1 Kings 14. Now, you may hold your finger there in 2 Chronicles. We'll pop back there a couple different times. But here, back in second, or 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 22, notice now as Solomon has forsaken the law of God, that here we find uh, the results of that. Verse 22 again. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked God. The word provoke in the Bible is used quite a bit. It does deal with an emotional term. It carries the idea that a word picture, can you imagine taking a stick and poking at, at an animal that's inside? Poke, 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 poke. That animal inside will not respond to that uh, happily. It's not something the animal enjoys. Poke, 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 poke. And it seems as if Solomon or Rehoboam as he purposely disobeys God, as he knows what the Bible says, as he knows what he should do and purposely does the opposite, it's like taking that stick and provoking God. Poke, poke, poke. It's not like Rehoboam was ignorant. He knew what to do and chose to do differently on purpose. God, what are you going to do about this? I could do whatever I want. I'm my own man. Look, watch, I'm going to purposely do wrong. Poke, 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 poke. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy. They actually caused God to be jealous with their sins which they had committed. Why? Because they're serving other gods. They want these other gods. They want these gods that will make them feel good. And they... <laughs> Verse number 23... For they, Israel, uh, Judah, also put them, these false gods, high, or built them for themselves high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. This carries the idea that there are sexual sins going on in the kingdom. That what has happened is that in order to worship these false gods, many of them required some type of sexual worship. And so they built these groves, which whenever you see this idea of groves in the Bible, for the most part, it's carrying a place where people commit sexual sins at. It's the Bible way of kind of explaining what's going on without getting too graphic. When it talks about every under every green tree. Again, the idea of going back to nature and going back to the fertility and carries the idea. It's just a, a way of stating that there's sexual sins going on without going too graphic about what's happening. And so these people would rather have their sexual sins. They'd rather have their pleasure. They'd rather do what they want than do what God wants them to have. I don't want God to limit my fun. I'd rather worship a God that lets me do whatever I want. 
Notice as it continues to open up these sexual sins. Verse 24, and there were also sodomites in the land. And they, these sodomites, did according to the abominations of the nation, which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Here now, sexual sins have now become rampant and allowed and accepted and put into place. It is a horrible time right now. And it's all because Rehoboam made a choice. I don't want to serve God. And what he did is he traded a relationship with God and a relationship he could have had and he was instructed to have and taught to have. He traded a personal relationship with God with these little false gods, these little false idols. Once again, men had trained Rehoboam but also influence Rehoboam. So now that Rehoboam's in charge, he's trading all of these things away. He traded wisdom for foolishness. He traded a personal relationship with God for little false gods. But we see there was one more trade-off that he had. He traded what was real for a facade. He traded for what was real for a facade. If you don't mind, look with me now as we continue in 1 Kings chapter number 14. 1 Kings 14, and notice with me in verse 25. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Now, with this, let's catch some back history. Remember that Solomon had so much gold and so much wealth, he didn't know what to do with it. It was said in Solomon's reign that All of his dishes, all of his eating utensils, all of his cups, all of his forks and knives, everything was made out of gold. That gold was so abundant that it was considered an insult to have plates or stuff made out of silver. He had to have goldware instead of silverware. Solomon had so much gold that he decided to use it as decorations. And he had made these shields to be as a beautiful picture of his wealth, of his status, as wall hangings all over the place. Well, because of Rehoboam's foolish decisions of trading wisdom for foolishness and trading a personal relationship with God for these false gods, Now he's very vulnerable to attack. Shishak is the pharaoh of Egypt during this time. Remember, Shishak has already harbored several adversaries of Solomon. And now as he has watched as Rehoboam has done foolishly and watched as Jeroboam has divided the kingdom, remember that Jeroboam presumably still has a good relationship with pharaoh Shishak. So he's getting information that, oh, the kingdom's in two now. Oh, Rehoboam doesn't have an army. Oh, the people aren't happy with Rehoboam. Oh, Rehoboam is weak here. Shishak said, well, this is a good time to go invade that nation. And so he came not for the purpose of conquering the nation and making it subjective, but the idea that he's heard all about this gold that's just lying around, sitting as wall decorations, and there's no army to defend it. And presumably no God to stop him. It's open territory. And so Shishak comes in. Takes whatever he wants. Which would include all of these golden shields. To take each one of them. Make them his. And say thanks Rehoboam. And Rehoboam had no way to put up a defense. Had no way to fight. Now these shields are going to be very important. 
that Solomon had built 300 large shields, so large you could hide your body behind. Then he had built 300 small shields that were made with three pounds of gold into one shield. For a large target, each one of these shields would have cost today in today's economy $357,000. What you could do with just one shield, $350,000. For the smaller shields, which had the three pounds of gold into it, would have been equivalent to $72,000. Altogether with the large shields and the small shields, they, they would total up to $93 million. Now, if you can imagine being a pagan king and you hear that someone has $93 million just laying on the wall, undefended, no one's able to stop you, that sounds like grocery shopping now. Let's go ahead and take whatever I want. No problem. Who's going to stop me? So Shishak walked right in, took all of those shields, and nothing was there to stop them. The Bible makes mention of this, if you don't mind, in um, 2 Chronicles chapter 12, just flipping back and forth again. 2 Chronicles chapter number 12 and verse number 5. Then came Shimea, the prophet to Rehoboam, and to the princes of Judah that were gathered together into Jerusalem, because of Shishak, and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, ye have forsaken me, therefore I have also left you in the hand of of Shishak. So here, God makes it clear that, listen, Rehoboam, this is your own fault. You traded the kingdom, you traded wisdom for foolishness, and you lost the kingdom. She, uh, Rehoboam, because you decided not to serve me, but you decided to provoke me, you could have had a personal relationship with me. Instead, you wanted to go to these little G gods. I went ahead and just took my hands off and said, all right, and I allowed Shishak to do whatever he wanted. You didn't want me in the kingdom, so I stepped off. There you go. That's what you get when you don't have my protection. And so all of these things were taken. As we go back to 1 Kings chapter 14, the thing now is that Rehoboam doesn't want to appear weak. His kingdom hasn't been conquered as much as it was invaded and pillaged. Now, remember, Solomon had a great reputation about his wealth, and Rehoboam didn't want to ruin this facade. He didn't want everyone to know how weak and pathetic he truly was. So what he had to do is he had to build a facade. He had to build a mask. He had to build a cheap imitation to try to fool people that he was right with God, that he still had all these privileges. He had still had all this wealth. He still had all of this strength. When in fact, everything's falling apart around him. Notice as we look in 1 Kings chapter 14 again, and notice what happens in verse 26. And he, speaking of Shishak, took away the king, treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he even took away all. And he took away the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam had made in their stead brazen shields and committed them to the hands of the chief of the guards which kept the door of the king's house. So here's what happened. That Rehoboam realized I don't want people to see that I'm weak and I definitely don't have gold to build these shields but my dad had a copper mine over near the Red Sea in Ezion Geber and we've been bringing in all of this copper 
So we have enough copper. Copper is very much not as valuable as gold. It's not as pretty as gold. But you know, if we go ahead and make them shine and make them look pretty, and we don't allow people to have a close inspection of it, what we could do is we could fool people. And so he commissioned all of these, these ceremonial shields to be built. And what he did is he kept them all in a warehouse under lock and key, except whenever he was going to have someone that he needed to show off how wealthy he was. Then he would have the guards put him back up on display, but he would make it so people could not go in and enter in. It's basically, hey, and you could see all my shields here. I'm sorry for poor security reasons. We can't let you go in and see everything, but can you look at all those shields? Yeah, that's how wealthy I am. Look how shiny they are. Look how pretty they are. Yep. Don't look any closer though. Please don't look any closer. Let's go on to the next one. And then as soon as all the dignitaries left, they would take all the shields off the wall, put it back in a storage place. So that way no one would ever know there was anything different. What has happened is that he's put on a facade. He's put on a projection that everything's all right. It is amazing what happens when people start trading off, when people trade wisdom for foolishness, when they start trading a personal relationship and they trade it for little false gods, that what happens is that they have to trade off what is real with something that's a facade. That what happens is that people can't admit that they're not right with God, so they have to put on a projection. Oh, I'm fine, I'm right with God. Look at how right with God I am. You see how I'm dressed? Oh yes, I'm right with God. When's the last time you read your Bible? Oh, I'm so right with God. Well, when's the last time you spent some time in prayer? Oh, let me tell you, I love Jesus. They put on a facade. They put on fakeness. May I say what the Bible says in the New Testament? They put on hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy carries the same word where we get our word actor. That people become very good actors. Oh, I'm so right with God. Just don't look closely at my life. Oh, I'm so happy. Just don't look too close to me. Inside, they're miserable. They're lonely, they're far away from God, and they know that their whole life is fake and they cannot stand a close examination of their life because they don't want to be exposed. What's really horrible and sad is that none of these people, nor Rehoboam, had to be in this state. But they traded wisdom for foolishness. They traded a true personal relationship with God with something that's <laughs> for false gods, and then they traded what's real for a facade. They put on a mask, they put on these things, all because they've traded these things off and now they have nothing that's fake. Look with me once again to the book of Second Chronicles chapter 12. And if we could get a summary of Rehoboam's life, if we could get a good caption statement about what happened, what went wrong, and why do these other people living a facade instead of having something real, we could wrap it up in one statement to get understanding what happened and how to prevent it. The book of 2 Chronicles chapter 12. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, and notice with me in verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14. And he, Rehoboam, did evil. Why did he do evil? What was his big charge? Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He prepared not his heart 
to seek the Lord. What does this mean? Remember that Rehoboam was raised with the Bible. He was raised to seek after God. He was raised with wisdom. But understanding just because you're taught the Bible doesn't mean that you obey the Bible. Just because you taught God is real doesn't mean that you automatically follow him. What was the big crime? What was the big thing that, that set this off? What was it that the Bible said he did evil for? It was because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. What does that mean? That means he never made a decision to follow God. He never purposely said, this is what I'm going to do. I will purposely read my Bible. I will purposely spend time with God in prayer. I will purposely go to God's house. Instead, it was like, well, if I got time, if it's convenient, if it shows up, I'll go ahead and do that. But he never purposely made a decision. It is amazing, this idea. Over and over, you're going to see this is a big charge that God presents. It's not the big sins and crimes that come afterwards. God goes back to the source. Where did it begin? He prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He never made a decision to follow after God. You never follow God by accident. You don't roll over in your bed one morning and go, Whoa, I've been following God this whole time and I never knew it. To follow after God is a purposeful decision. May I say to obey the Lord is a purposeful decision? For example, if biblical authority gives us something, we have to make a purposeful decision to obey it and make the steps, how am I going to do this? How am I going to prepare? Put all of these things in order. What usually happens, biblical authority gives us something to do and okay, I have every intention to do it. But then this gets in the way and this gets in the way and we didn't plan correctly. And because we didn't plan correctly, we didn't do, we didn't obey. What's the big crime? Not obeying? No, the big crime is that you didn't prepare your heart to seek the Lord. You didn't prepare your heart to obey, to get these things accomplished, to do what was given to you. Everything that we do, if we're going to be submissive to the Lord and follow after him, starts with a decision of what we're going to do and how we're going to prepare this is one of the big crimes even today is that people do not plan on obeying the Lord. Meaning that having intention to obey the Lord is not the same as making a decision, how am I going to obey the Lord? How am I going to get it done? What do I need to do beforehand? For example, for people to come to church. If you're going to come to church on a Sunday morning, it begins by planning on Saturday night. What time am I going to bed? Set out all of my clothes. Do I have everything prepared? Do I know where the Bibles are at? In order to prepare to obey the Lord to be there on Sunday morning, you have to prepare on Sunday night or Saturday night to make everything and set in order. If you are going to read your Bible every day, you have to prepare, make a decision. When am I going to read my Bible? How am I going to read my Bible? When am I going to read my Bible? How long? You prepare, you make a decision to obey the Lord. This is the problem is that people don't like to make decisions. If we're going to obey the Lord, if we're going to obey biblical authority, if we're going to obey what is given to us, we have to have a decision clearing out our path. How am I going to do things? Making preparations. What if this happens? How can I still obey the Lord knowing that this circumstance or this circumstance may come? We will never be able to obey the Lord without 
preparing our hearts to seek God. God, what would you have me to do? How do you want me to get it done? And these are the plans to do so. This was the big crime. And because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord, he ended up not following after God and he traded (coughs) wisdom for foolishness. Because I didn't prepare to seek after God and follow what he wants. Now I have to go after decisions and wisdom that comes from the world and not from God. When I prepare not my heart to seek after the Lord, what happens is I end up not having a personal relationship with God, but other things fill in that void and fill in the gap and become much more important than following after God. And when that happens, I end up replacing what is real with what's a facade because I don't want people to see me that I'm not what I should be, what I think I should be. But instead, I've got to put in a good painting, good picture. Oh, no, everything's all right with me. I know I haven't read my Bible for a while, but I have no problems whatsoever. Oh, look at how happy I am. And what happens because we put on the facade, we don't get the help that we need. And more importantly, we end up provoking God. All because we didn't make plans and preparations to obey what was given to us. So let me ask you, What is it that God has been asking you to do lately? Has there been something that he's been giving you to obey? What steps do you need to get accomplished to make sure that it gets done the way that it is supposed to get done? It never comes by accident, never comes by convenience. It comes by a specific decision. This is what I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it, what it takes to get it done, and what things do I need to prepare for that may jump on the way to make sure that I still obey what is given to me. Have you been preparing your heart to seek after the Lord? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.